Good morning. I'll be reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 29 on page 226 in your pew Bibles. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents for three months after his birth because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered abuse suffered for the Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, unafraid of the king's anger, for he persevered as though he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, so that the destroyer of firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land, but when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Thank you, Robin. Uh, We are talking about choices in January and February as our uh, United Methodist Church uh, is going to be making some choices uh, later on in February. And in uh, planning what the sermons would be about, rather than addressing specific issues, uh, I thought the most profitable way we could spend our time on Sunday mornings in God's Word was to look at those in Scripture who exhibited great faith in the choices that they made and how they made those choices and how they they stayed faithful to God through those choices. So we're looking every Sunday at a different character. Last uh, two Sundays ago, we looked at Joseph, and uh, Joseph is one of those almost perfect uh, persons in the Scriptures. In fact, some people say other than Jesus Christ, the most perfect character in Scripture is, uh, is Joseph. And a, a good part of the book of Genesis is taking up, taken up in his story. But he exhibited all through his life faith, despite some things that would have uh, overturned the lives of of most people. uh, He remained faithful to God, and because of that, God blessed him and raised him up that he might be a deliverer for his people. Uh, When they were in uh, a situation of famine, he had prepared Egypt for that famine so that the people, uh, his people, the Hebrew people, could come to Egypt to receive the food that they needed. Now, what happens now is is by the time uh, Moses is, is born, they've been there about 130 years or so in slavery. You're saying, oh, I thought it was uh, 200 years. Well, by the time Moses gets around to God sending him to deliver the people out of slavery, at that point, it's about two centuries. But uh, they came to Egypt originally as, as a free people. They were invited in. They were blessed. They were given special treatment, in fact, some tax-exempt status during that time. But over time, they increased and grew, and the Egyptian people began to look over and see that there were, uh, as their population grew, that they were potentially a danger, that they might overthrow the Egyptian uh, rulers, that they might ally themselves with uh, Egypt's enemies. And so eventually, uh, in different stages, uh, more and more, uh, their rights were taken away from them until the point where they were in, in slavery. And uh, that is when God raises up a deliverer in Moses. So we're going to be looking at Moses. There's a lot to his life. Uh, he is credited with writing uh, the first five uh, books of, of the scripture. And, uh, and so if you just look at that, if, if that is true, 
whoever wrote the first five, five books of the, of the scriptures of the Bible had a tremendous faith in God, sees God in the beginning, creating all things, creating us in his image, uh, sees God uh, through, uh, through Abraham, uh, through Isaac, through Joseph, and so uh, delivering his people constantly. He sees the sin of humanity, and he sees God as the only one who has an answer for that sin. So this is Moses, and uh, I'm going to just uh, give you a brief summary of his life here. It's pretty easy to remember because it's in 40s. Uh, Moses is born, and most of us know the story of how his uh, there was a decree that the firstborn males, and this had been going on for quite a while by the time Moses was born, the firstborn males would be uh, would be slain. And uh, so when a male was, was born uh, into a family, uh, they were to be slain. But uh, some midwives got together. They had a little uh, uh, undercover operation going to protect uh, the males. And, uh, and Moses' mother placed him in a little ark made out of uh, uh, bulrushes and, and pitch and tar and, flo- and set him into the river. He didn't, she didn't necessarily set him in like he's going down the rapids and all, but just kind of set him over into some reeds. And uh, the daughter of the Pharaoh comes down, discovers the baby. She had been making offerings to the, Nile, the goddess of the Nile, who was also the goddess of fertility. She wanted to have a baby. And sure enough, she comes down and the Nile has delivered her this child. Now, it's also very possible that she understood part of her that this child had been placed there. Uh, by a Hebrew woman try, mother trying to save her child. But she uh, uh, apparently took this child to be her own, had Moses' mother to be the midwife, so he kept that connection. And it's an important connection because growing up, he would have learned about the stories of his people. And so he was always had this dichotomy in his life of being uh, Egyptian and Hebrew. But above all, it shines through that his heart was with the Hebrew people and the Hebrew God. Uh, he was trained up in the military, in the government, uh, in the religious uh, uh, laws of, of the Egyptian people. But he never forgot the God of the Hebrews. And uh, in fact, he was in line to be the next Pharaoh. Uh, he, would have, uh, uh, he was loved and adored. But then at the age of 40, again I say things happen in 40s in his life. At the age of 40, he observed... Uh, a Hebrew slave being uh, beaten by an overseer, and he intervenes. And in the intervention, he ends up slaying the overseer. Hides the body, but word gets out among the Hebrew slaves, and, uh, and it leaks out, and then Pharaoh finds out what Moses has done. And Moses has to flee because he will be executed for this murder. Uh, he flees, and then we have another 40 years uh, in the land of Midian where he marries and he is a shepherd, and it appears life is all over for him. I mean, how many of you, when you get to the age of 80, how many of you are going to answer a call from God to do what Moses did? I mean, this is when everything, this is, this is the, uh, the plagues and the Passover and, and leading them through the sea and into the wilderness for 40 years and all. He's doing that at the age of 80. Here in this country, in our culture, what you do is somewhere as you approach your 60s, you're thinking about retirement. We have people who are thinking about their retirement when they're in their 30s. 
But somewhere you're thinking about, okay, I'm going to get there in my 60s, and maybe for a few years after I retire, I'll have kind of an active, active retirement, but then, you know, poor health and things will set in, and so the last part of my life will probably be just sitting around. And one of the things I admire in this church are the people who are retired who don't retire from ministry. The people who, as soon as that first day of retirement comes, they're over at the food pantry. Or they're over at the community center. But in some way, they want to serve. But can you imagine at 80 being told, you need to go back into Egypt, you know, the, where you're known as a murderer, and you need to confront the Pharaoh, and you need to get millions of people out of Egypt. How's that going to work? And of course, Moses had a few excuses, but they weren't about age. His main concern was he was slow of speech. He wasn't a good speaker. Maybe that was a strength for him. Maybe he didn't depend upon words to get himself through things. He depended upon God. Uh, I've known people who were so good with words that it seemed like all they had was words to get them through. But that wasn't Moses. But God said, you'll have support. Your brother Aaron, you know, there will be people around you. Don't worry about this. Moses goes back. And we know all that story. But what I want to focus on uh, for, for the rest of the sermon is just one incident that I think demonstrates the, uh, the faith and the commitment that Moses had and how he made uh, choice after choice after choice that was faithful and what the basis of those choices was. You see, a lot of us, we make choices all our lives, but what are we basing our choices on? Very often for someone who do- doesn't have a, a, a religious underpinning, some kind of faith foundation in their lives, or who is weak in morality, what they do is it's it's situational ethics. Whatever the situation is, that will determine my decision. So, for instance, if I've got an opportunity to steal something, but I know I will get caught, I won't do it. If I have an opportunity to steal something and nobody's looking, maybe I'll do it. just depends on the situation. Uh... You know, if, uh, uh, if there's benefit for me, and that's usually the way it turns out, because in our hearts we tend to be very narcissistic and we're self-centered and we want what's best for us, if something will be profitable for us. Even if it's serving other people, if it brings back praise to me, I might do that. But there has to be something in it for me. This is the way most human hearts work apart from God. And even those sometimes who claim faith in God, it works that way. You're in it for yourself. But Moses comes along and he, he does everything God tells him to do. And sure enough, Pharaoh allows the people to go. Let my people go, uh, Moses keeps saying. And he's probably getting a little discouraged. It takes ten different plagues. And finally it takes the death of Pharaoh's own son and the death of all the firstborn males in Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let them go. But then Pharaoh changes his mind. His heart starts to harden again. And he sends his army after them. And, and they're at the Red Sea, and, and, and the, the children of Israel are there, and they're not real happy with Moses at this point. You know, this great leader has led them into a trap. Behind them is the army. They can see the army coming on, on their chariots and horses, and they look ahead, and here's the sea. How are they going to get out of this? And Moses is the one out of that entire population who has faith. And turns and asks God 
to find a way for them. And God parts the sea. We know the story. We've seen the Charlton Heston movie. We know how it works. You know. Now, at this point, again, Moses is 80 plus years of age. He takes them through. Now, uh, they get across. They're praising God for a couple of days. They're singing, you know, the, the horse and rider, he fell into the sea. Uh, we were, uh, he has triumphed gloriously, you know, and they're singing praise to this God. But then they get out into the wilderness, and it comes time, and they get to, to Mount Sinai, and it gets time for Joseph to go, um, for Moses to go up on the mountain and to receive the commandments of God. And he's gone for like 40 days. And the people are distraught. Where's Moses? Certainly he has died up there. And we're alone here in the wilderness. Now some people may really uh, not understand why they would do what they did. But think about it for a moment. You have just left your home and, and you know, they, they immediately, they're, they're kind of thinking maybe we should have stayed in Egypt. Even though we were slaves, we knew where our meals were coming from. But now we're out here, and we're depending upon this God who we cannot see. At least in Egypt, we had gods who we could see. You know, we, we had idols. So let's make a golden calf. You know, let's, let's, let's make an idol, and uh, this calf represented one of their primary gods, and we will praise this God for delivering us. And then this God will take care of us from here on out. But they were replacing the God who had actually done all this with the false god. And of course, Moses comes down uh, from the mountain. Uh, he can't see. He hears before he sees. Uh, the way he comes around behind the mountain, he's hearing this. He's not sure at first. They're thinking maybe it's a war. Joshua is with them. You know, maybe, maybe there's a battle going on. But as they get closer, they say, no, there's, this is singing that's happening. And when they come and they can see what's going on, there is Aaron, the brother of Moses, and he has fashioned this idol out of gold, uh, from all the jewelry and the people had taken all this stuff out of Egypt with them. Pharaoh was so happy to get rid of them. He wanted so much to get rid of them. He said, just take whatever you want. So they took wealth and, and gold and, 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 and Moses sees this. Can you imagine what his thoughts are? Now here's where, though, there has to be a choice made. Aaron has made a choice to go along with the people. And maybe it's a, maybe it's a choice that he's made as a delaying tactic. Maybe if I just go along with them long enough, Moses will appear and things will be okay. In fact, he, he says, okay, tomorrow we will celebrate a festival in honor of the God. He delays it today. So maybe that's what he's doing. Maybe we can justify Aaron in that way. But certainly, he has been under to the pressure. But here's Moses. Now, he has just argued with God and convinced God. He pleads for the people because God knows what's happening down there before Moses does and God's anger is waxed against the people and he wants to destroy them. And I'll raise up for you another people, another great nation, but not this people. And Moses pleads with them, and, you know, and so God says, okay, go see what you can do. Now Moses comes around, sees it, he's as angry as God is. He takes the tablets and he tosses them down. Now, sometimes you kind of see he tosses them down his feet on a rock or whatever. I think he was sort of on a cliff. I think he was at a place where he tossed them, and they went down a few hundred feet, and they, and they are demolished. And he's angry. And he comes down, and, uh, and he begins to sort things out. He talks to Aaron. What has been happening? Now, there are some different ways Moses could have handled this situation if he did not have a strong faith. 
He could have said, you know what, I see the reasonable, I, I can see what's reasonable about this in the people. Does it really matter which God we worship? All gods are the same, right? Don't you hear that today? Doesn't matter who you worship, they're all the same. So we'll just, we'll just go ahead, and this is kind of cool, this golden calf. Gives them a representation that they can see God. This invisible God doesn't work real well with them. We'll do that. And, you know, culturally, that will mean that we will fit in with the Egyptians and the other people all around us better. Because right now we're kind of that odd duck that they look at and they're not quite sure who we are and we're kind of strange. But this way we'll fit in. And then maybe some of their people, will, we can marry in with them and, 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 and we'll just become bigger and a bigger. It'll be a profitable, profitable situation. You see, he could have rationalized everything. He could have made it easier on himself in terms of the people and turned his back on God. You see, that's what I see myself doing a lot in life. That's what I see a lot of us doing a lot in life. Situational ethics. How can I make this better for me rather than what does God say? What is God's will? No matter what the situation, no matter how it's going to affect the situation, even if I think I know better than God, I'm going to be loyal to God and I'm going to listen to God. And that is a theme all through the Scriptures with people who are followers of God, their main strength in the choices they make is that their choices are based not on the situation, not on their emotions at the time, not on human wisdom, but on the wisdom of God. So with Moses at this time, in addition to Aaron, in addition to all these people who have rebelled, and by the way, the summary of the story, the Levites all come back over to Moses' side. You know, he, he, he presents them with the choice. Who is going to stand with me for the God who delivered you out of Egypt? The God of Abraham. Who is going to stand with me? And the tribe of, of the Levites come with him. And the rest of the people are slain. It's a tough story. It's tough for our contemporary ears. What's amazing about how tough that is sometimes, I think, for our contemporary ears is there can be people in this world being slain this moment in places of war and violence, and there can be people starving to death, and we condemn violence in the Old Testament. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. But meanwhile, in the world, in a world that we can we can have an effect in, in a world where there's no spot in this world who we can't in some way support the people, we turn our eyes and our hearts away from. Now, Joshua is there with Moses, and I want to uh, just go to Joshua for a moment. Uh, the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Years later, they're in the promised land. Moses has died. He never got into the promised land. He saw it. From the mountain. You know the famous Martin Luther King speech. I've been to the mountaintop. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. You remember those words? That's playing on this. That Moses doesn't get into the promised land. But he sees it. And that was enough. So Joshua. Who has been with them. Years later. Just before his death. He reminds the people of this. This is what his faith was based on. This is what the faith of all people who truly 
love and follow and have faith in the God of Jesus, the God of Abraham and Moses. This is, this is what is the foundation of that faith. Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including, and he names people, the father of Abraham and, and, and uh, Nahor and uh, where they lived. He's given specifics about this, that they worship other gods. But I, this is God speaking, I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan. And I gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent, I sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there, and I brought you out. Now this goes on for quite a while. Joshua continually is speaking for God here that God has done all these things. God has done all these things. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, uh, the Perizzites, Canaanites, and so forth. But I gave them into your hands. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, you can choose them. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people cried out, we will serve the Lord with him. That was a choice presented to them. And they made that choice to serve the Lord. But it's not an easy choice. Because for them it meant that they were still going to be at odds and in conflict with the people around them. The people who did not understand this God of Abraham. And then the final thing to connect this into the New Testament, into our faith and our lives today. There's a young man who comes to Jesus and he says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus begins to go through the laws, those laws of Moses. You know, have you, have you not stolen things? Have you, he, he goes through that list that, of, of, of commandments. And the young man says, all of these I have kept since my childhood. In other words, I'm blameless. So certainly I deserve eternal life. But Jesus says to him, one more thing. This is the one thing you have to do. Go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. That's a tough choice. Isn't that a... Can you imagine? I mean, everybody kind of gets down on the rich young ruler and says, wow, he turned down Jesus. But listen to what Jesus is asking him to do. Go sell everything you have and come and follow me. Take your security and exchange it for a life that you don't know what's going to happen. And remember, Jesus is not far from the cross at this point. And his disciples, that's where they're following him to. Are you willing to do that? And that is the same choice that's presenting to us today that has not changed in 2,000 years. Come and follow me. And the question is, will we do that? And sometimes I think, and you know, one of the things that's been 
talked about a lot in the coming decision in February, and, and it could be the whole thing's postponed another year, two years. Who knows what's going to happen? We have no idea what's going to happen there. We know what some of the proposals are, and we know what, what can go before it. But one of the things that's been battled about has been the idea of, what if a church left? Could they keep their property? And legally, and this is held up in courts, the answer would be no. If the, if the United Methodist denomination chose to keep this property or any other church's property, it belongs to the denomination, not to the local church. It's called the trust clause. It's been there forever. And some people say it's what's kept the United Methodist Church together <laughs> is the fact that churches don't leave because they don't property. But what if, and I'm just putting that what if out there, what if there was a church someplace where that was the option? And it could be because uh, the church went one direction or the other direction. It's not, it's not that people who are conservative, they're the only ones that will be faced with that choice, but people way over here on the progressive side will be, could be faced with it just as well. So what if you're in that situation, whatever's decided, you decide, we don't want to be part of this anymore. But you know what? We love our church building. We love our property. So we'll just go ahead and stick around. <laughs> we'll lay low. We won't open our mouths. We'll just, we'll just go with the flow. You see, that's a tough decision, isn't it? I think that brings home what that, what that young man was facing when Jesus asked him. Because I tell you, there's a lot of people don't want to give up the property. Even if it means doing what they believe is God's will. So I think that just brings it home to us. And and more than anything, too, I think it impresses with us the faith of Moses and Joshua and others in Scripture who are willing to give up everything. You know, Moses was in line to be Pharaoh. And he forfeited it. The people of God gave up a secure home. Maybe not the best home, but they gave up that security to go into the wilderness. The question for us today, when we make our choices, are we willing to go into the wilderness, to go into the unknown and the unpredictable, if that's where we believe God is leading us? Now, I realize I may have just raised a panic in a few hearts. Don't worry, it'll be okay. Uh, God is with us. You see, that's the final thing about our choices is every choice we make that's made in faith, there should be an underlying peace that comes along with it. You say it's okay. All that being said, pray hard for the unity of the United Methodist Church. Pray hard that every person in our church will commit themselves to doing God's will and that we won't be so focused on our human wisdom and trying to figure it out ourselves, but that we would turn to God and say, Lord, You lead us. We are incapable. We don't know the future. We are powerless. Please, Lord, we are at your mercy. Pray to God between now and the 23rd of February, as I'll be praying, and pray uh, that, first, no one will have to make that choice. Second, that whoever has to make that choice, if the choice has to be made, They will do it in faith and love and grace. And that's the last thing I'm going to share with you, and this is out of the context of the life of Moses. 
there is no reason that when you disagree with somebody, and everybody in, our, in this room is not in agreement on everything, that that has to mean that we hate each other, that we wish ill for each other. In fact, quite the opposite. You should be able, with the heart of Christ, to go to anybody in this world, no matter how great a sinner, and have compassion for them, and love for them, and embrace them, and wish them peace, even if you have to part, take separate paths in life because of what you believe God's will is. May it all be done in peace, and in the peace of Christ. And amen. Let us pray. Holy Father, above all, may our hearts seek you. May we be like Moses, willing to go at any age, at any time in our lives, Father, where you send us. And may, Father, when our lives here on this earth are over and we gather before your throne in heaven, may we hear those blessed words, well done, good and faithful servants. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now go in the peace of Jesus Christ. Cling to that cross and cling to the Savior who died upon it for our sins. Go in his peace. Amen.